reading Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11 and 16 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in Paris to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry on, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the labor deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever you, whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the, team, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me. And whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, singing, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of See, I have given you the authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The gospel of the Lord. You guys remember this logo? The spirit of 76? Now, if you're my age or older, you'll get it. Because the spirit of 76 was when we celebrated the bicentennial of 1976. And so we were celebrating that uh, we have been a nation that is 200 years old. In fact, I went on eBay and I found out the train set that I received from my parents. It was a spirit of 76 train set, an HO train set. So in 1976, Everything was the spirit of 76. And so we were celebrating being a nation, and we were saying, look how far we've come as a nation since 1976. Look how, how we excelled in inventions, excelled in technology since 1976. And I go, good night. Now, I was in junior high now. Now, we just celebrated, I believe, 243 years as a nation right now. And we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go, don't we, as a nation? And so as we celebrate, celebrate this of becoming a nation, it's very fascinating that a lot of people say this, that we are a post-Christian nation, right? And that the Christianity is kind of on a decline. So I did, did, did some research and some studies, and in 1948, we were 93% of a Christian nation. 93% of people said 
they are a Christian. Now, it's gone on its decline since 1948, tremendously, but as of uh, this year, it has plateaued and increased, which is interesting to me. And so what has happened, we've gone down to 23%, a little over 23%, and this year, it's a little over 25%. So somehow they even say the religion, different religions, how they grow, is they don't grow rapidly or they don't decline rapidly, but they decline slowly or increase slowly. So what is going on in our nation? How are we doing this? And basically what happens is when Christians feel like they're losing power or losing their Christian nation, what happens is they will affiliate themselves with any type of political power that they believe that they can encourage them, that they can get that Christian nation back. And so I look at this and I go, what type of politics should Christians be in? Because we're approaching a new political year again, and we're watching the Democrats and stuff like this. But when I put this together, this message, Jesus and the Lord have their own political system. It's really fascinating. So are we called to embrace the world's political system, or are we called to embrace God's political system? So follow me on this. I'm going to show you two examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I simply titled it, Courageously Simplicity. And, and we look in the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is really powerful because this is the journey for Jesus on the journey to Jerusalem. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels talk about this, about his journey to the cross. And so, but Luke is very fascinating because he spends a lot of time on just specifically the journey himself, 10 chapters. And so he writes it as a story and he kind of threads it where he's showing you there's a common thread here when it comes to the journey of Jesus. And if you look at the common thread in the 10 chapters, you will say, my goodness, this is a theme that's going on. In order to follow Jesus, in order to be a Christian, Luke is saying, you've got to follow Jesus. And he gives this prime example what it means to follow Jesus using his journey to Jerusalem or journey to the cross. He was prophesied in the Old Testament that he was a lamb heading to slaughter. And so we look at this and we go, good night, this is fantastic to get kind of a footprint here and learning about the story of him going to the cross. And so what does this have to do with politics? What does this have to do with American politics or presidential candidates or, or President Trump? This teaches us a lot about the politics on how God deals with. When we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that basically his will will be done and how we need to follow Jesus. Follow me on the screen. Normal politics is a type of coercive force that seeks to gain then keep power over a group of people. The politics of Jesus and the kingdom of God are a lot simple and subversive. It often disarms coercive powers through simple small acts of compassion, justice, peacemaking, healing, liberation. However, practicing such simple acts often bring those who do into conflict with political power, and therefore it requires the courage to walk this path. And so when we follow Jesus, it can really hit 
in, in our world's politics. And we've seen that, that Jesus <laughs> really, man, they didn't embrace him all the time. The religious leaders and the leaders of the world then really had problems with Jesus. And Jesus didn't run for politics. Jesus didn't run to be the king. Didn't, he didn't run for anything. But he just served. And so, therefore, politics are everywhere. And this is the problem here. And I think this, you know, we look at politics in, our, in the United States or politics in the world, but there's also politics in the workplace, aren't there? There are politics within a denomination. There's politics within a church. And so how, what kind of politics are we really embracing here? And so this is important to understand that when we look at the Old Testament, and I'm telling you, the Word of God cracks me up, right? If we look at the kings that was just read today, and, and the kings, the command, he was a commander in army. He was a commander in chief of the biggest army in the world. But yet he had an issue, a health issue. He had a spot of leprosy on his arm. And so therefore, if you know about leprosy, leprosy back then was highly contagious. It grew tremendously, and therefore, when you had the leprosy, you would have to go into what's called villages that just had lepers in it. And if you had leprosy and you go out in public, you would have to yell, leper, 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 and everyone would take off. And so this commander-in-chief of the biggest army had leprosy, and he wanted to be healed. But look who Jesus, who, look who God uses here. God uses this slave girl. And it's really interesting to look at this because again, who does God choose? He chooses a slave girl to speak to chief, to, to have to go to another country to get healed. And so the slave, slave girl spoke, spoke and did it and therefore spoke to the chief of the army named, named Naaman, Naaman. And so Naaman <laughs> basically was told to go to Samaria to Elijah's house and get healed. That's all he has to do. So now what's going on is Naaman, and in all his glory, all his army glory, all his chariots and stuff went over to Elijah's house. Now imagine this, all the dust that's flying out, all this entourage that's coming, all this power, because this guy had a massive ego. And he was in charge of the biggest uh, group of soldiers. Here's what's going on. This Elisha was being obedient. When he came to the door, Elisha didn't even go out and open the door. What Elisha did, he took the lowliest servant to speak the prophetic word to his leader. And so it was a slave, the lowest of the lowest of slaves, comes out the door and tells Elijah what he needed tells uh, Naaman what he has to do to be healed. Again, God chooses the lowly, the broken, what our society looks at. So Naaman, so servant girl said, in order for you to be healed, you need to go in the River Jordan and you need to bathe there seven times in the muddy waters. So he bathed there, so he's told seven times. Does Naaman say, okay? No, he's ticked. He's frustrated. He's frustrated because Elijah didn't come out and greet him in a proper way. He's frustrated because Elijah didn't have this incredible healing upon him when he was there. 
he's frustrated because where he came from had beautiful lakes and beautiful rivers and clean water that he could have bathed. But no, he had him bathe in this dirty water, so he's mad. So then God uses a third servant. This is interesting because you see how the political system is working with God because he chooses the lowly people. And so then on 2 Kings chapter 5, one of uh, Naaman's servants said this, talking about being, okay, watch this. Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you have not have done it? How much more when all is said to you was wash and be clean? This servant was very logical, right? And talking to Naaman, and basically, this is fascinating to me, because you look at this, how God chooses, it reminds me of what Paul says, how he chooses uh, people to work in him. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27. But God chooses what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. That's what Paul's saying. God chooses what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in this world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. The politics of God always seem to turn the politics of the world upside down. Because God does not choose the world's best, the world's elitist. He doesn't choose perfection, but he chooses people that love him, people that are obedient. And it doesn't matter what kind of skill set you are, just as long as you love Because his power goes in you. And so when you do God's work, people look at you like me and go, that's got to be the Lord. That's got to be the Lord. Because this boy does not have the skill to do this. And so therefore, the same thing with the servants, all three of the servants, God uses a tremendous way to help heal Naaman. Now, Naaman eventually bathed in the river and bathed and it was fixed. But now let's go to the New Testament. And I'll show you how, again, Jesus has used this. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near to him, uh, him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was determined to go to that cross. He was determined to be obedient. And the people, the disciples who were following were hoping that he would establish his political kingdom here on earth. They were hoping that he would blow everything up. The Roman Empire blow everything up and just say, look, we are free. But God, Jesus' way was far different. Again, a prophesied that he was going to be a lamb into, heading into slaughter. And so this is where his followers were so frustrated with the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jewish people did not get along with each other. So what the followers of Jesus says is, can you call fire down from heaven? Basically, in today's language, can you nuke them? We just obliviate them, and then we'll be done with them? And so Jesus goes, no, this is not going to happen. In fact, he shows him that the typical political power that the world has is completely different to how Jesus is going to deal with the Samaritans. So what Jesus does, he calls 70 of his followers. And so he calls 70. This is, again, not nuking, but he calls 70 of his followers 
to go into the enemies of Samaria and go into the village and basically declare peace. Oh, and by the way, don't arm yourself. Don't take anything with you. Just go there and go into their homes. This is what Jesus said. Then here's what Jesus is saying here. Luke chapter 10, verse 3. Go on your way. Okay, now listen, you're following Jesus, okay? He goes, go on your way, so I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. I would go, ooh, no, I'm not going, right? Because now follow me. The prophet said Jesus was going to be like a lamb in the slaughter, and he says to this, you're going to be lambs heading out to wolves. So basically what Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to become like me. I'm a lamb heading to slaughter. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. So therefore, if you're following me, you're a lamb. And it's like going to wolves. And so therefore, the 70 went. And then he specifically says, it gets crazier here, when he says take nothing. But look on the screen. This is where it's interesting in today's politics versus Jesus' politics. Normal politics tempts lambs, as Christians here, to join wolf packs and to start acting like wolves. Jesus' politics is saying that true power is found in lambs who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of others. You see, the political system is completely different. And this is where following Jesus is not easy. It's really not. There's times when I broke up in a relationship that I'm going, Call fire down. This is a good time to call fire down. Okay? Or we quote, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do you ever quote that when you're hurt at someone? And you're just going, not, karma's going to get it, down all this stuff, because you want to destroy your enemy? But he's telling them to go and declare peace to, to your enemy. So that was their enemy, the Samaritans, and they had to show their ability to show kindness and hospitality to their enemy. And, any, and doing that, showing hospitality and kindness to them, begins a reconciliation process. Not nuking someone, not destroying somebody, and not treating them worse than dogs. So this is what he says. Now this is Jesus. I'm telling you, if I was a 70, I would go, oh, come on, Jesus. Just shh. You know, let, let us figure this out ourselves. Because the thing is, you and I would probably sit down and contemplate how are we going to do this. Jesus said, just go. You're not going to figure this out. Just go. You've got to trust me on this. And so follow me on the screen. Luke, whatever house you enter, he says, say peace to this house. You, you say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. So when there's hostility between two groups of people, hostility within a family, hostility within a workplace, it's saying you be the first one to make peace. You. We don't want to be the first one. We want them to grovel. We want them to come and apologize. But Jesus said, you go out and offer peace. You have the courage to make the first move. This is where, that's why I titled the sermon, Simplicity, but yet Courageous. Because you have to be courageous to do this. Because every fiber of who you are 
to go into somebody's enemy's house and declare peace. It's just, this is not normal. This is not right to do this. And so therefore, if you wonder, he's saying, don't force your culture down their throat. Okay. Now, we Americans love to eat. And if you notice this, that basically how we eat, we decide where do we want to go to eat. Do you want to go for Mexican food, French food, American food, Chinese food, Ethiopian food? Because each culture has different foods. And so therefore, when you go into a certain culture's homes, they make their food in the culture. Jesus was saying, look, eat their food. Don't change the culture. Even if you're eating kosher, you eat what they eat. And so follow me in Luke chapter 10, verse 8. Whenever you enter the town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. This is great scripture when you have young kids. <laughs> okay, that's what Jesus says. You don't want to get Jesus mad, <laughs> you know. And, and so, so basically, can you imagine if I had kids? I could use scripture like crazy. But basically, don't insist your own ways. Don't insist to be right. Oh, this is hard, isn't it? We are such a divisive country right now because all of us feel that we have to be right. And we look at people that have a different political view than you do or I do, we treat them as an enemy, don't we? Jesus is saying, don't change them. Don't change them. Be courageous. Sit down with them. Bring peace. But this is interesting to me that when they accepted this, this is what happened in Luke chapter 10, verse 9. He told them, cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Fascinating, because he repeats it. The kingdom of, of, of God come near to you. So basically he says, do good to your enemies. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching. This is consistent with him going to the cross. And then Jesus gets really political here. Follow me here. It's on the screen. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter the town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet will be wiped off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Fascinating. This is one thing that I look at this. Basically, you have a choice to accept the kingdom of God or to reject the kingdom of God. God is not going to force his kingdom upon you. So he says, tell them the kingdom of God is near. They have to decide whether they accept it or not. And if they don't accept it, they don't accept it. He doesn't force his will upon us. And he says, offer hospitality and stuff. Look on the screen. The power of God's politics come through simple people, courageously doing simple acts of peace and compassion. That's what he's doing. So now, if it was typical politics, they would have nuked the Samaritans. They would have destroyed the Samaritans. But here, here's the results of it. The 70 returned with what? Joy. 
It didn't make any sense what Jesus was telling them to do. But they returned with incredible joy, saying, Lord, in the name even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan. Now get this. Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. That is stinking fast. Now, he didn't say anything, you're going to defeat Satan. He just said, do this, declare peace, and the biggest stronghold of our world fell like lightning. Because he did, dealt with it, and did this in a nice, kind way, good way, declaring peace, and Satan fell. Satan is known as the deceiver, a deceptionist. He's known as a divider. So you can look at our society now and see how div divided we are as a society where Satan's really enjoying it. He's got the power. But we look at the, the politics of Jesus here within the home, within the house, within our workplace, and man, Satan just flops down quick. Jesus knows what he's talking about here. He knows what he's doing here. And so we have to serve in a Christ-like compassionate way and when we serve in a Christ-like compassionate way where we love and care for people that have want to be nuked and all this stuff and we care for them this is where the spiritual warfare goes crazy the principalities of this of this world and so so we look at Democrats as a scapegoat to Republicans. We look at Republicans as a scapegoat, and we basically look, if you're a Republican, you go, man, these Democrats are idiots. And we look at Democrats and we go, man, these Republicans are idiots. And basically, Jesus is saying, stop it. Stop it. We're all the same body. We're all the same body. And we need to work together in this. On the screen, once people are divided, the next step is to destroy the other side whoever is on the other side, right? And so we look at this. This is why he calls us to be lambs. This is why he calls us to follow him. If he's a lamb going to slaughter, then he's going to send us towards wolves. But yet he protected the ones that went to the wolves, right? They came back with full of joy. Now, look on the screen. So as we enter the political season, Let's not be tempted to put our hopes in a political savior who promises to use political power to make a Christian nation once again. But let us renew our hope in Christ and his simple, courageous ways. The best way for our nation to be blessed is not for us to strive to be a Christian nation, but for it to be a nation filled with true Christians whose first allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. Amen. There's where we need to go. Now, this is where I, I've noticed, and I, let, let me be open, because there's no visitors here. We, we had um, a video that was shown last week, pastor to pastor. And that's where I got real emotional of all the pastors that I've invested. The first one, if you remember, Pastor Trish. Pastor Trish was part of our church and left in 2011 to Oregon. Strong woman, a strong leader. Then the next one who, who worked with was Marissa. You guys remember Marissa? Okay, Marissa's gonna be here in August. And I asked her to preach. 
but she's not sure yet. And so, so Marissa, and how she shared, and she left a few year, years ago. Uh, if you remember Dan Davidson uh, back in 2012, he, he's now he's a pastor. He has three children. He's married, and he pastors the Pasadena Church now. All homegrown from this church, which is interesting. And then we got Marzette. And Marzette, uh, just incredible minister, incredible prophetic prophecy. She was here uh, last Sunday. I, I, I came to the office. And, and let me say this. All of them are frustrated as get out with our denomination. Because our denomination plays politics like the world does. It chooses the elite. It chooses the smartest. It chooses the best. It chooses the slick. It chooses people that will pass from mega churches. It chooses people that are very good at business rather than shepherding. And the thing is, they're all elite, but they have a heart because they, they worked under me, a heart for the broken. And so I encourage them, don't quit. It takes a while to change a system. It takes a while to turn a ship around. And so therefore the ones in power that have the money and the resources don't give up power easy. But as long as we embrace, this church embraces, and this church trains people to embrace the politics of the kingdom, he chooses the servant. Because we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, not being empowered by our own gifts that we're good at. Now, we're good, and we can give our gifts back to the Lord. But this is where he calls us all. So proclaim the good news. Look at people as not people that don't fit your criteria of what a minister looks like. But understand that God can use you tremendously through your brokenness, through your imperfectionness, through your past, because your past becomes this incredible wisdom, doesn't it? And so the Lord can use it in a tremendous way. And so may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord bless his word. And also, too, your pastor is going on vacation uh, this afternoon. Uh, we're going to take our in-laws um, to Union Station. We're getting on a train at 6 o'clock tonight. We're going to ride that train all the way to Chicago. And we're paying more money than flying. <laughs> and, and, and so it'll be fun. We, we, get, we get there uh, Tuesday, uh, three, Tuesday at 3 o'clock uh, in Chicago, or south of Chicago. Then we're staying with Jennifer's aunt for a day or two. Then we're going to drive to uh, Pennsylvania for Jennifer's um, uh, family party that she's having. And she's taken me, because I need sermon illustrations, she's, take, <laughs> she's taken me to my first dirt track race. Now, I know none of you have been there. Okay. And she's going to get the pit passes. And this is what she said. You have never experienced rednecks as you will when we go there. So, I'm going to have redneck illustrations for the next year and a half, okay?
So I'm excited. I'll, I'll be flying back on Sunday, and Jennifer's coming back the following week. Thank you for your prayers. Pastor Reuben, uh, exceptional pastor. I publicly thanked him last week, and he wasn't here. And so, and I told you guys, if it wasn't for Pastor Reuben uh, and Brooke, that this church would not exist. I'm telling you right now, they are my stability. They are my foundation. And so, Pastor Reuben will be giving the message uh, next week. Okay? May God bless you.